Hello, I'm Nomi Lamb. And I'm Lisa Ganser. And, and this, this is success. success. Since this is our very first podcast, let's introduce ourselves. Okay, well, as I said, I'm Nomi Lamb. Um, I am 42 years old. I'm a super fatty, disabled since birth, um, white, Jewish, uh, queer, non-binary femme artist, musician, um, dog supporter. <laughs> not an athletic supporter. <laughs> I'm not really an athletic supporter. I mean, if that's what you are into, then I'll support you. Go sports team. <laughs> and uh, I'm Lisa, as I said, I use they, them pronouns. I'm a white disabled gender queer non-binary person and uh i'm the daughter of a mama named sam and i live on squaxin chehalis in the squally land in the fine city of olympia washington i also live in that same place with you here in our house that's true under this very roof where yeah. we rent a home yeah from our very nice landlords dahlia and brian we're also our friends. Yeah. And we have a garden and we have a dog named Mama who's sitting under the piano bench chewing on something. A greenie, it looks like. Yes. And we have a dog named Dandelion who is maybe in the yard. He's laying right there on the... Oh, there he is, on the, the floor. And we have a, a new family member. Do you want to tell our new family member? We have a new family member that is a kitten that I got for my birthday a little early. <laughs> and um, her name is Calendula, and she's probably hiding because it's daylight hours, and she comes <laughs> out at night to claw my face. <laughs> she has a half mustache, and so Lisa pointed out that if you cover one half of her face, she looks like a businessman. And if you, I, I never gendered it, a business person. Oh, I, oh, a business person. <laughs> yes, with a brief cat, a briefcase brief and half case a mustache. And a mustache. Yes, and then the other half, she looks like what? Oh, if you cover that that side of her face, then she looks like an empathetic listener. It's yeah. like you cover f half of her face. She's like, business person, I could help you with your taxes. And the other <laughs> side is like, I'm an empathetic listener. <laughs> I like that about her. She's yeah. very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and we used to have a cat named Pearl Buttons, and she died a couple of months ago after an epic journey around our, our yard. It was really quite magical, actually. She was... Um, had very clear ideas of how she wanted to die and we got to support her in that and now she's buried in front of the nurse log at the front of our yard i'm looking out there right now that you are and just to mention also because you said that you're the daughter of a mama named sam i want to mention my mom also her name is melinda and um both of our moms just transitioned and died this fall uh 11 days apart it was uh quite an experience and they both are with us all the time now it's true yeah. um is there anything else that people should know about us well um this is our first podcast i don't really listen to very many podcasts but now that we are recording one i will certainly listen to this one um <laughs> you listen to a lot of podcasts and so it was your idea for us to have a podcast together mm -hmm. we do a lot of collaborating together we're mm -hmm. both artists and um, 
I'm really grateful that you had this idea and that you're recording this. Um, yeah. And uh, I wasn't sure about the title and the theme. You know, that was, I think, your idea as well, success. But mm -hmm. uh, I came around, which is a success, our first success. Mm -hmm. That was the very first success of <laughs> our true. relationship. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing that maybe people would want to know is that we are in a relationship with each other. Um, we've been... Uh, primary partners for five years and we fell in love over the internets um, through Facebook and um, then we uh, Lisa moved out to San Francisco where I was living at the time and we lived together there for a few years yeah and mm -hmm. then uh, we moved here yep to Olympia slash Squawks and Nisqually Chehalis land Mm -hmm. And um, we moved up here to be near my mom, and that was a success. And she was awesome and so fun. And then she very surprisingly died this fall. And even though I moved here to be near her in a lot of ways, I also, now that she doesn't live here anymore, I just feel my roots deepening here even more. And actually, here's a, a success. Yesterday, I paid my first down payment on my own grave plot. And that is a success. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Job I well will, done. When I die, I will be laid to rest next to my mom. That's my plan. I'm grateful that you know that you want that and that that is put, being put in action. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially having both of our moms pass, you know, first your mom died here. And then um, sitting at that table with our family, your family, our family, making those decisions about how she was going to go. Mm -hmm. um, and then 11 days later, my mom dying, fly mm -hmm. across the country. Grateful, thankful to our community who helped make that happen yeah. because I'm poor and I wouldn't be able, been able to do that. So thank you, everyone. Um, enabled us to be there. And then uh, she had actually overdosed on opioids and um, it wasn't the first time uh, that that had happened. It had happened at least three times the summer before. And she died actually on October 7th when we were there with her, um, with uh, my brother, my friend, Andrea, who's my brother's partner, mm -hmm. um, their kids, um, some close friends of my mom's. Um, and we pulled the plug, as you say. And then we had to make some decisions that were very different from the decisions that were made around your mom. Mm -hmm. As I had mentioned uh, at that table that wow, no one's worrying about money. And mm -hmm. there wasn't a worry about money uh, with your mom. Yeah. And with my mom, we made some informed choices like a cardboard box, things like this. We had her uh, cremated and then we had a really beautiful send off for her. Yeah, we did. Yeah. My mom, there were some things that were uh, easier decisions around because we're Jewish. There was like, okay, it's going to be this pine box and it's going to happen in this way. She'll be buried in the Jewish cemetery. Um, and then I felt really grateful to be able to have my own um, input into things like there's a tradition of having dirt from Israel in the coffin and on the grave. And we, I felt really strongly about not having that, about not exporting dirt from a place that is such contested land where um, there's you know, military occupation happening and, uh, and then putting it in like buying that dirt and putting it in my mom's casket. Like, what does that mean? So we actually were able, to, I was like, let's get dirt from her garden. She was this really amazing gardener. And, um, 
that was really cool. And she was buried with one of her sunflowers. And then we threw dirt from her garden on her grave. And uh, yeah, and there, you know, it's a funny thing because like my family has this certain amount of class privilege. And so like Lisa said, there were, it wasn't a question of how or like, how will this be possible? Because there were several people that could put it on their credit cards or figure out how to make it happen. But what has happened has been a lot of, um, you know, it didn't seem like it at the time, but now that it's like nine months later, there's actually all this legal stuff around money and the state and that whole part I can't really go into, but it's been pretty gnarly. I really don't enjoy it. And I remember Lisa, your brother saying like, yeah, my brother, Marty, um, I have a number of brothers and sisters through marriage and, um, Anyway, my brother Marty is who I grew up with, so mm-hmm. uh, he's probably the person on the planet that I I feel the most connected to as far as, like, that's who I grew up with. And yeah. Anyway, um, it was definitely Marty that uh, said, I'm so grateful that we don't have to worry about those money problems. And I, at that time, I was kind of like, oh, interesting, you know, like, huh, you know. Yeah, because there was no money to have a problem yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it was actually really sweet to see the process of, you know, I don't want to tell other people's story. I will tell my own story, but um, so I'm checking myself a little bit. But but with Marty and um, and and his partner uh, Andrea and how because it was the four of us and Nomi and I that were making the decisions and supporting each other through my mom's, uh, you know, immediate transition. Uh, anyway, um, just. I don't know. It took me a minute to feel the impact of what that meant because mm-hmm. I'm seeing, I'm witnessing your family go through yeah, this. And yeah. Your family is my family, but I'm saying that like it's definitely like hard and it puts stress and it makes people who, it kind of elevates things for people who really miss the same person to mm-hmm. be at odds with each other. And mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's very hard. It's hard to, it's to witness and I'm witnessing it. So I'm just acknowledging it. Yeah. And it was also difficult to, um, make decisions when you're poor and you don't have money like uh yeah yeah. and we have community that supported us and hugely they were amazingly and people um, bought our plane tickets dion my mom's friend is calling on the phone which whoa interesting (laughs) yeah i'm fielding his calls but so we didn't necessarily intend to talk about our moms um but it's a big part of what we've been dealing with, so it makes sense. Yeah, that we would be talking about our direct ancestors, our recent ancestors, our, yeah. our mothers. I yeah. mean, our lives are really about matriarchy, moms. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, of course, we're going to be talking about our own moms. Um, and there were a lot of successes in those really difficult experiences. And that is a sweet way, actually, to transition after because it like, brings up all these feelings about our moms. Mm-hmm. And so what were the successes that happened? I mean, their transition is kind of still happening. I don't know that word, transition. That's new for me to use that about someone's death. I hear other people use mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. Um, but it's new for me to use that. Um, the dog is chewing a bone. <laughs> it's kind of loud. <laughs> is it kind of loud? You have the headphones on. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like... Uh, I feel much closer with you since our moms died 11 days apart. (laughs) Like we've worked through a lot of things. Like you really supported me to stay sober while I was uh, Mm -hmm. in Minneapolis dealing with my mom's death because I am a person who's used uh, the tools 
of drugs and alcohol to <laughs> to ease things when they're difficult yeah. and that's actually been a problem <laughs> it's been problematic so i um do a lot of work to to try and not do those things so and uh home would be a place that i could easily do that and i didn't do that and i was very supported by you of that yeah and i feel like us talking about it and me just being like god i really like to use right now was mm-hmm. very helpful <laughs> yeah and that you were saying like i don't know if i want you to come i might just want to go do it by myself and just be high and <laughs> just yeah. deal with it yeah. and yeah. i was like okay well i'm available to come i want to come I'm so glad I got to be there. Yeah. And I feel like for me, some of the, the successes were around, I mean, with my own mom being there for her, for her death in a way that, you know, she wasn't able to really talk very much. But I like my mom was this really deep, really curious, really open hearted, open spirit. And I was like, okay, mom, like this is, your big chance to do this thing and so I want to like be with you and support you and hold your hand and just let you move into this death transition with your whole self and I got to open into this like big part of myself that I don't think I really knew was there and didn't even want to imagine was there in a lot of ways because uh, it's my mom and I didn't want her to die and um from having that experience, I had that available to then bring and be with your mom and in not exactly the same way, but able to like sing at her deathbed and, and help people feel like an open and connected, loving experience through the transition, which is, you know, obviously painful. Yeah. You know, um, I, for many years, I have shtick, you know, I say the same jokes a lot. I know you notice that because you're around me quite a bit, <laughs> but, and I've kind of abandoned much to much of my shtick because it's kind of like bullshit when I do that. But anyway, um, one of the things that I used to say a lot was if someone scared me, like, boo, scared me, ah, I'd be like, whoa, or if they almost crash in a car or anything like, ah, duh, I would be like, whoa, you just took like three years off my life. You're singing at my funeral. Like, um, there's a joke that I made up. I think I'm the first one to make it up, but I'm sure you could probably Google it and find somebody else. But anyway, anyway, it was a joke of mine just to be like, oh, you took some years off my life. You got to sing at my funeral. And some Mm -hmm. people would take it further to be funny and we'd choose songs. The person Mm -hmm. was going to sing. And actually, literally, you did sing at my mother's funeral and literally so did I. I, It's just kind of interesting because it's like, um, I don't make that joke anymore. It is funny, but, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't make that joke anymore. Not because it's not funny, but just because like, um, there we were. We actually did sing mm-hmm. at the at the funeral. Um, I will definitely sing at your funeral if <laughs> I'm still around. Thanks. Yeah, I don't really want a funeral, but thank you. Yeah, and so we were talking about, I don't want to, um, I know we're, we're a little bit distracted because our dog is biting on a bone, but that's going to happen because we're in our own home. So maybe there's some sweetness in it. Um, you're talking about what is the success then. And so I feel like with my mother, um, having yeah i don't know it's it's hard it's big and we're trying to like transition to the next portion of our podcast show but uh experiencing your mom's death being bedside when your Mm -hmm. mom died Mm uh um and being at the table when those decisions were being made and i was mostly just there as witness and Mm -hmm. support i wasn't making the decisions but being able to be there because sometimes i wasn't even sure why i was there 
mm-hmm. mean, I am part mm-hmm. of your family. We are family. And uh, it helped me to do that yeah. for my mom. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think it was successful to go in there and to do all the things that I knew I could do to take some of the weight off of my brother and his mm-hmm. partner and um, to take the pressure off of Andrea. And, and for my and, family, too, you kids. did that. I mean, when um, my family was over here and my sister was so overwhelmed and you went up to her and you were like, I don't know if this is a good time to say this. And she was like, oh, what? Oh, God, another thing. You're like, I have this really amazing chocolate cake. And, like, and she was just so relieved after that. She was like, Lisa is so amazing. I just saw so many people going up to her and saying, I know it's not time, but you got to talk about this right now. Anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. So this is still our introduction. Um, and I just want to talk a little bit about what the name of this podcast why it exists and originally it was because I was thinking about as a as an artist what does success look like um both myself and Lisa are like lifelong multimedia artists who have done a lot of different kinds of art a lot of different projects over the years that have had you know some successes and some failures and everything in between and I'm sure throughout the course of this podcast we'll talk more about those kinds of things um and uh you know knowing some people that have achieved fame and whether or not that feels like success or or even for those people what what feel like their biggest successes that that was some of the curiosity that I started with and then Lisa and I just started talking about it a lot and it would be like anything would you know, when you can reframe something as a success, like, oh, my God, I was peeing my pants. And then I got on the toilet and didn't pee my pants all the way. Success. <laughs> you know, like. Um, and it's totally OK to pee your pants. I do it all the time. Yeah. My friends have a really good song about that called Everybody Pees Their Pants Sometimes. Nice. Yeah. It's a good nice. song. Maybe we'll invite them on the show sometime. They actually just had a baby uh, three days ago. Success. Welcome, baby. Success. Welcome. Um. So, yeah, so that's the idea. So, I mean, I think as you can tell from the way we're talking, uh, we have both experienced. Um, Sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, the, the dog found something to terrorize. And there's the prettiest color of purplish blue shredded something on the floor. Like yarn or Anyway, something so we everywhere. must be talking in a way that's making her like, I need to be doing something. They're yeah, performing. It's <laughs> funny. Kidding. Um, um, I know I interrupted you, but we were talking about the show and why why it's in existence, right? And the name success, right? Mm-hmm. And so the first when you first started talking to me about it, I started thinking about my dad and and just like who, uh-huh. how, why, uh-huh. how is it that I measure success and what makes right. me think I'm successful or not? And how you know, much younger in my life I started framing my own my own work as life's work instead of like. Um, what's your job or like people right. are like what do you do and so it's just like sometimes I don't even know how to answer that question right and are you eating some cat poop right now <gasps> ah! drop that ah, that's so horrible oh my god I can't believe that was just caught on this I'm gonna pause it and we're back we are and uh <laughs> I just had a successful uh clean up the cat poop situation <laughs> i can't that was d- 
disgusting. <laughs> she had a fucking dog. She had, she a, had a cat turd, turd in her mouth. hanging out of her mouth. This is my I adorable little um, uh, Chihuahua pug. Maybe some Jack Russell in there mix. Her name's Mama. We got her after our moms died. Her name was already Mama, and that's how we knew it was her. Yeah. Um. So anyway, she's wow. She's in the dog house. <laughs> <laughs> she's totally not she's in the person house yeah um okay so uh i was just talking about the success theme and we don't have to expand on it too much i guess yeah i think people can kind of get the sense already of why it's called success and sure. i guess just to say like oh yeah i know what i was trying to say was that we um there's some heavy stuff. There's heavy stuff going on in the world. There's heavy stuff going on in our lives. We're not avoiding or ignoring that or trying to gloss it over with some spiritual bypassing or any of that shit. Um, we are firmly in the shit. We are staying with the trouble. I'm reading a book called that right now by Donna Haraway. Um, and, and we have to live and be our best selves and grow and heal and love each other and love our community and believe that there is a point to being here and so part of that is being able to really see the ways that we are triumphing in any moment um, just by existing and having these little successes and and we and we really do mark them every day like Lisa makes the most incredible brunches like every day I get to eat these amazing brunches that Lisa makes and I'm drinking this coffee that is like magical witchery that Lisa does every day and that in that way my day gets to start with a success every day and I get to live in a home where I'm safe with someone who I take risks with who supports mm -hmm. me who supports themselves who is loving and open you're someone that I can like uh, there's no way I could show up in the world the way I do without you I'm just telling you I mean I tell you this uh, and I mean it deeply from my heart mm. um, just like and to be doing direct anti-police terror work and being a survivor mm -hmm. of police violence myself and being able to process these things with you mm -hmm. and you having boundaries with that. Mm -hmm. Like it lear I learn how to interact in the world better. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> cause sometimes you tell me no that you can't take in anymore right now mm -hmm. about certain mm -hmm. things. And I've learned I have to find other people to talk about different things. Mm -hmm. We don't have to, I have to put every single thing on you, you know? Yeah. And, um, and yeah, just, yeah, even just before we started the podcast, I was just like, oh, there's these things going on with me and I want to talk to you about them because mm -hmm. I really love your perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, we love each other well. Yes, we do. And we do. I, yeah, thank we, you so much for. In a lot of ways have like my dream home, you know, it really is beautiful and safe and small and also expansive and. We have this beautiful, amazing land that we live on and grow so much food. I have this little fairy garden out back that has so many beautiful flowers and I write out there and it has an arbor that my brother built that we're just starting to grow some grapes on and oh my God, it's such abundance <laughs> in yeah. so many ways and we can actually afford to live here yeah uh, we can rent this place and mm -hmm. it's not threatened mm -hmm. to be evicted i've survived many evictions mm -hmm. in my lifetime mm -hmm. and lived with people that it wasn't safe and yeah anyway yeah. it's just yeah it's a it's a gift and so it makes it to have a home like this mm -hmm. makes it so that we can show uh, it makes it so i can show up better in the yep. world 
and um, I'm, I'm in jails and institutions a lot less too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, seriously. And do you want to mention anything about your current? Um, well, I can also delete yeah. that part. Oh no, it's okay. You don't have to delete that part. But you are the editor, so you get to make those decisions. <laughs> um, well, in talking about our most recent successes, so we can talk a little bit about this week, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, well, I well two weeks ago, I, I'm all, I am also uh, part of a Lamless Poor and Indigenous Peoples Media Movement called Poor Magazine, and I'm a writer for Poor Magazine, and I'm a poverty and I'm a poverty scholar, so I'm definitely. Um, I'm suggesting that you check out Poor Magazine. Anyway, um, Poor Magazine, I just finished a new article with Poor Magazine, and it is an article about uh, Charlena Lyles, who was uh, killed by the police in Seattle just a little over a year ago. Um, and I would like for you to please read that. And so um, that was uh, a success to, to, be able to, yeah. to be able to share her story and to um, ha interview her, her cousin, Katrina Johnson, who um, helped me get to know her. And uh, anyway, uh, that was a success for me to write that article, to get that published. Mm. And while doing it, and for the past, I think it might have even been a month of being in a flare-up, because uh, Charlene Lyles uh, had mental illness, lived with mental illness. She's a black mother um, killed by white police officers. Just want to name that, and uh, uh, I also live with mental illness. I have psychiatric disability. There's lots of different ways of of describing it. I just say I'm disabled, um, and I've been in a flare-up. and uh, And I often hear in our home tell know me that I'm not doing well. Like to say that I'm not doing well is kind of like a common thing I've noticed. Yeah, I say it a lot. And so if I say it a lot, and it is my truth, it's truthful. I'm not doing well when I say I'm not doing well. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't become banal. It becomes like, uh, it's hard to know. It's hard to differentiate when, like, no media wouldn't know that I'm, like, very close to checking myself into a psych ward. Like, you wouldn't know that if I didn't mm -hmm. say that. Yeah. So we're in a process of talking about that and working through that and de-escalating, uh, helping to so we can de-escalate better. When I'm in a flare-up, bipolar PTSD have a brain injury those things all play off of each other mm -hmm. <laughs> and um anyway I I was feeling like I wanted to die I've been feeling like I want to die for a while and I have suicidal ideation that's a truth of mine from childhood yeah and some of that suicidal ideation was I was starting to plan things so anyway I told on myself which is new tools yeah. uh because um, I have a good therapist and I have other friends that I trust in this community, which I'm so grateful for those people. Um, anyway, I talked about it and uh, was doing different harm reduction things. I had to leave the place where I work. I had to do different things and come home. And, uh, and then honestly, suddenly, a couple days ago, I woke up and the metallic taste in my mouth and the psychosis and the movie that plays over and over that I want to kill myself the things that tell me I don't that I'm not worthy of living like mm -hmm. you've already lived a good enough life let's move on like these things that are an honest truthful part of my my mental illness mm. why I'm professionally paid to be crazy by the government yeah. lifted and it was like oh mm -hmm. I can make some food now anyway mm -hmm. success that lifted like yeah. I still have a like nice you know drone of a an unquiet mind it is mm -hmm. nothing like 
what it was a few days mm-hmm. ago. In fact, when I think about it, it's hard to even describe what it's like. Although I think I just did a pretty good job. Yeah. I also think that I like don't make eye contact with you when I'm talking about mm-hmm. it. I kind of like leave my body a little bit and talk yeah. about it. I'm a human being. I'm not perfect. And mm-hmm. I also am so grateful for the tools that I have and that I access. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm just really grateful for that lift, for that having lifted. Yeah. And uh, um, I wonder what it would be like to try and record a podcast while I'm in a flare up like that. Who if knows? we try to do it on a schedule and if you're open to it, then yeah. then I'm we will show up as my most truest, yeah. authentic self. That's being recorded with a microphone in front of my face at my <laughs> kitchen table. But uh, anyway, I am just so grateful that that has lifted um, because I think checking myself into a hospital, I just have a lot more information about what that's about. Mm-hmm. And, and I have been I have survived being brought being 5150 is like this the cop lingo for it but like being intervened upon when i'm in a mental health crisis uh, Mm -hmm. and just uh anyway i don't want to be around cops i don't trust doctors or emts so it's like uh i'm just grateful that that has lifted it's like there's different colors i don't know how to explain it everything tastes different there's this thing that's just over comes up over my head and uh anyway anyway i just um grateful that that has lifted so that is definitely a success (laughs) (laughs) and i'm lisa ganser (laughs) (laughs) and you're listening to our podcast about success um yeah it's cool that you thanks for sharing about that uh i was gonna i was asking if you wanted to share about being on house arrest because you were talking about incarceration. Well, let me talk about some more vulnerable things. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like the way that I'm talking about my house arrest publicly is honestly uh, part of my life's work. It's mm-hmm. an extension of my life's work. I'm uh, trying to decriminalize people who have made mistakes. We are not to be thrown away. Um, and yes, I am. I'm on house arrest. So live from house arrest. Yeah. This is success. <laughs> this is success. But it's not live. It's recorded. <laughs> recorded live um, in our living room. End of June. I end believe. of June. Yeah. 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 So we, you might not hear it at the end of June. So might yeah. We'll see how, how it happens, how we get this out into the world. Yeah. You might want to perfect the success before you <laughs> do some This fine. is the pilot. This is, this is the pilot. Um, yeah. So I'm on house arrest. Yeah. 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 And just thinking about uh, what's going on in my world and what feel like successes, um, I definitely, well, I will say that I think maybe I'm feeling some depression. I've been having a hard time wanting to do things. And I think part of that is, um, you know, I guess it's, it's escalating fascism and escalating awareness of a lot of things that have been happening since the beginning of the United States, but um, but definitely are becoming more more known. So, you know, one of those things being just like thousands and thousands of children uh, being in cages, and you know what I would say are concentration camps, which I I recently saw something on someone else's. Facebook page about when Jews say don't call them concentration camps it's not because we don't care it's but I actually as a Jew calling it a concentration camp feels real to me and I feel like if we're gonna say things like never again 
than what it when it is happening right here then we need to say that's what it is that's how I feel about it personally and and it also brings up things from my childhood like earlier Lisa was saying you know I'll never know what it's like to experience that and I'm like yeah I I haven't known and probably won't ever know what it's like to have that specific experience around um, border crossing and being trying to be kept out in that way and um, having my child taken from me and also like part of what is so um, jabbing me about it is my own experiences as a child because I, when I was born I was identified as having disabilities and was um, offered free health care from the Shriners and uh, spent many weeks of my child life many times um, in in this hospital without my parents in uh in a crib which to me felt like a cage and in fact there were times where there was a plastic bubble put over the top of it to make sure I knew I was being kept in and um all kinds of horrible things that happened there and that have um impacted my my life and so when I think about these children I'm just Oh, I'm just sending them so much love and I'm like I just keep thinking about I can't wait to hear their stories and just I'm so grateful for all the people I think there was like 600 people who were arrested yesterday at the White House um, for uh, uh, protesting all of the horrendous bullshit happening around immigration in our country right now both the quote Muslim ban and then all the people um being incarcerated at the border and children taken away and um so what is the success in that well there's success in that like 600 people were arrested for um not backing down and not being silent and among them were congress people and uh and when i look at the photos it's mostly women almost all women in the photos um and yeah, I'd read that it was mothers. Mothers. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, mothers. Yeah. And then I guess connected just around my own mental health and stuff. I feel like um, in some ways when things in the world get really bad, in some ways it's a little bit numbing. In other ways, there's like I remember after the ghost ship fire where, you know, some people that we know died and. A lot of people that um, a lot of people we knew died in this in this fire in Oakland. Um, that after that, I listened to this uh, to this song by Joey Cassio, who was one of the people who died in that fire. And the song is all about just like like it was like he was singing to me from the inside of the fire. Like it literally was about lighting a fire and and burning shit up and being like in your most um, authentic self right now and doing what you need to do and w getting what you want and that kind of feeling it's just like there's certain kinds of healing that I just have not had the opportunity to do yet in my life and part of that has to do with traumas that I experienced as a child part of it has to do with um, the body that I have and being fat and disabled and what kind of social currency or sexual currency that has given me or not given me in my life and 
Um, and so, yeah, I have a new therapist and I'm really like digging into some stuff there and I'm writing this book about creative process called Bless This Mess. And that is like while I'm like trying to write about creativity and artistic process for other people, I'm having to like dig into ways that sadness and anger and sexuality and trauma have impacted my creative process and how I work with those energies. And I am have like a couple different people outside of my primary relationship that I'm having building sexual relationship with. And that's both really amazing and good and also really like scary and hard and brings up all the feelings that I have done a really good job at um, at suppressing and then also I think being able to say like it's other people's fault that I don't get to feel these things and so I'm I'm just looking at those ways that I have kind of protected myself from myself in ways and um, yeah just like okay I, I'm alive. I'm alive right now. And so this is the time to do this work. And sometimes I'll settle into a place of like, like you said, like, oh, it's been good enough. And now I'll just convalesce until I die. <laughs> That's, yeah. And then I'm like, no, fuck, I'm still alive. I'm yeah. still here. And yeah. I still have this body and I still have this heart. And yeah. I still like, have all these visions and dreams and I love people so much and so yeah so I'm still doing it and I feel really grateful I had kind of this such a magical experience with my therapist where she was telling me that I have this protection around my pelvis that is that it it thinks that it's not organic it thinks that it's a machine and that it's protecting itself from me And the fact that she could tell that, I was like, you are a magical goddess. How do you see the inside of my reality? It's amazing. And then I was I was going into my own reality in that way. And I could see this structure. It was almost like I was was inside of a worm's body and I could see these segments and then all these like networks of connections. And then coming out of that, she told me, "Okay, so in the energetic body, there's these layers of structure and there's layers of fluid. And she's like, you in yourself are very connected to the fluid parts, but not so much aware of the structures. And, um, and I was like, and she started describing what the structures looked like. And it was like, exactly what I had been seeing in my mind. And so I think for me, like, I remember being in my 20s and feeling like, so dissociated and like, and aware of it in this weird hypo hypo intellectual way where it was like I had no idea how to connect what I felt on the inside to what I experienced on the outside and I had these like wild visions of like in the moments before death that time would slow down and we would all evolve into these sea creatures and that was the only way that I would ever feel connected to my environment was like at the moment of like maybe worldwide apocalypse or destruction um and so maybe we're in that now (laughs) and in any case I feel really grateful that I get to live in the world and be seen by others and um try to share my story in whatever ways I can even when it's really confusing or doesn't make any sense to me and and I don't know if it will matter to anyone else but I'm putting it out there because this is this is my moment 
to do that. So I encourage other people to also do that. That's why I do creative coaching and I teach voice lessons and just have so much um, deep respect for like what people are authentically experiencing and needing to express. And um, yeah, that's that's my success story for today. Nice. Yeah. I'm not sure where to go from there. Yeah. I'm just listening. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Okay. So I guess uh, when things are um, heavy, like I talked about my own, the hardness of my flare-ups with mental illness, and we're talking about really deep things, and the greater things that are happening in the world, and all of this feeling very crushing. Um, what are some ways, maybe we can both each talk about some ways that we stay hopeful and that we st continue the work and that we stay engaged? Yeah. I mean, even even you had asked me to talk a little bit about the fact that I'm on house arrest, which I, I can go into on another podcast, possibly um, more about that. Um, but uh, I have to be very intentional about staying connected to my community staying connected to my community while I'm on house arrest because I don't get the freedom to just go wherever I want or um so I have to find ways to stay engaged and continue the work and I feel like that is a success that I'm doing that and uh Nomi's telling me to hold my microphone closer so it kind of throws me off a little bit but I want to be it's I not about closer it's about the direction it's about the direction yeah. that's what I meant so I said it wrong too and held it wrong <laughs> incorrectly success i'm doing it right now <laughs> um uh yeah so there's different things that i do honestly like i have i feel like my practice of gratitude keeps me hopeful and i feel like my daily and hourly moment to moment practice that has come natural now of gratitude practicing gratitude is my form of prayer and i feel like um it's, I had to do a lot of work to get to that place, uh, to not blame everybody else or blame other people for things that have happened to me or that I have done to myself or or even blaming Trump for everything like or whatever yeah. I see people do. It's like, uh, this shit was going on way before Trump. And yes, it's Trump's, yeah. Anyway, um, I've had to turn all that around and so, um, I find ways to be grateful. Like we even have a gratitude jar that sits here and um, we write nice things about each other. We write things when I feel grateful about something that Nomi has done. Like even thank you for doing those dishes when I'm the one that trashed the kitchen while you were out of town or whatever. Uh, <laughs> just little simple things or deep hard things where, you know, thank you for helping me bury my mother or whatever. Mm -hmm. I didn't bury my mother. Um, but you know, anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of struggling here, but I'm talking still. Um, and I don't want to lose the flow. I want to try and ease into this stuff. But um, anyway, that gratitude jar, we we together on New Year's Eve, we've done it a few years in a row now, where we read back all of the things that we said that are grateful about each other. And it's really quite a sweet, it's really sweet, awesome New Year's Eve thing to do just after midnight. I just love that. And that's just like one way of practicing gratitude. But I, I love gardening. Yeah, I feel like doing yard work and gardening is really helpful to me. Growing food that we eat, that we get to share with other people is really helpful. I was in the um, 
backyard and I was moving some different things. We have a a pool back there, like a kiddie pool for grown-ups right now, which is kind of nice that a friend uh, gifted to us. Um, but I was doing some mowing, some different work, and I was lifting this thing up, and I um, I saw this June bug, and I had seen a couple more June bugs after that too, but this first time that I saw the June bug, it impacted me greatly um, because there is a, a lot of the life's work that I do is anti-police terror work, so I'm going to be referencing police killings during this podcast, uh, uh, loved ones who have been killed by police. And I've been uh, affected by a death that just happened uh, a few days ago of Thurman Blevins, who is uh, a black member of the community where I'm from, you know. Um, in Minneapolis. Minneapolis, yeah. It happened in North Minneapolis, just uh, a block from where some of our friends who we love very much, like I didn't know this, I didn't know this man, um, but some of my friends did. And, uh, He's loved and missed very much, and his death was completely unnecessary, and it was a murder. And he was uh, tased and then shot and killed, Dermon Blevins. Anyway, I had seen, I'm following his justice struggle as it's not even a justice struggle yet because it's impactful and um, it, it's, it's still the crisis. It's a crisis, yes. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm watching the police narrative unravel, and... Um, and I'm talking about it in this way where I'm witnessing it from afar. And this is like my hometown, so it, it, def- it deeply affects me. There's people, anti-police terror activists and people who have been directly impacted and lost their loved one are like scrambling. And this man should be alive, you know. And his nickname was Junebug. And so when I saw this Junebug when I was doing this work outside and I was actually feeling good because I had had, you know, my own mental health stuff had lifted and I'm actually doing the work that I like to do in the yard, you know. And I saw this June bug and I just was overwhelmed with tears. I just cried. And to be quite honest with you, I feel like that is a success. Mm-hmm. I didn't know him. And if uh, I feel like collective mourning and uh, just acknowledging, it's like, <laughs> yeah, uh, to me, to let, to let someone into my soul who I've never even met, uh, I feel like that's important work and that it is a success humanizing yeah. this person that was murdered by the Minneapolis police in North Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Thurman Blevins is his name. Thurman Blevins. Yes. I'm sending love June to bug. everyone. Yes, June. I've seen him called June and June Bug. Mm-hmm. And uh, I send so much love to his family and friends and to everyone impacted by his death. This is a horrible thing. Yeah. And um, I'm sending so much love. Lisa, can I ask you a question? Sure. My my guts gurgled at you. <laughs> What's a June bug look like? They're like a black uh, June bug, like a bug like this big, like about an inch. It has a little tiny thing and some like tensors looking guys. Huh. Yeah. And we used to see them all the time in Minneapolis because they would come around when I was growing up, actually, in uh, like Miles View, Blaine. Coon Rapids, <laughs> Fridley, like I, we moved a lot as a kid, and we were not a military family. Those are, those cities are very close together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I remember playing with my brother Marty outside at night, and uh, the streetlights come on, and the June bugs would be like gathering around. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I don't um, think yeah. I've seen yeah, them. Yeah, I can I show you them. They they're are. very they're and I, I think of them uh, coming around in June too, because hmm. and it's like a Minneapolis or a Minnesota thing. Yeah. 
but clearly here in Olympia it happens because oh yeah I could when I'm watering these uh like these plants right out here like the um what are all those plants the skull cap and the rosemary there that came from your mom Mm -hmm. when I move those because I tend to move those a little bit but there'll be a couple June bugs under there I can show you cool yeah Yeah, will you yeah I was like hi friend I don't think so I'm actually seeing them in a super loving way right now yeah. And maybe I was like more scared of them before. I'm not really mm-hmm. sure. I mean, I remember picking them up and scaring other kids. Probably my <laughs> brother. I'm sorry about that, Marty. Are they fast? Not super fast, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're cool. They're cool. Yeah. Bug guys. <laughs> they're drawn to the light and they make like a fluttering sound because they're hard. Like, mm-hmm. and yeah. You know, yeah. they have wings that are kind of hard, so they make a sound yeah it sounds to me like a flying cockroach huh but yeah i see a totally different thing in a cockroach they're small and brown and the ones that i the ones that i've had good relation (laughs) good (laughs) close relationships with the ones that were my roommates (laughs) cockroaches and when i lived in texas Mm. anyway yeah june bugs yeah thurman blevins thurman blevins well, um, I was going to share some things that are uh, ways that I uh, keep hope or for me, it, it's like um, how to keep my connection to the world and to myself. And it's feeling a little bit hard right now. And I can tell when it's hard because I don't want to do anything except stare at a screen. And um, but I've been talking to the moon it's a full moon and I find her to be a very good listener and I was talking to her a lot the other night about um about uh there being a time where really caring enough matters and like we all know that we have to take action we can't just feel things and that be the thing that's going to like change anything in the world. Um, But to have that action come from a place of love and caring and, and even knowing what action to take because it comes from our hearts and not from some kind of like top down, this is what you have to do to do it right kind of thing. And um, I just feel like the moon has witnessed so much on this planet. And, you know, even if she's not actually listening to individual human prayers that like we channel a lot of energy towards that um that entity and and it's the closest heavenly body to the earth and it's absorbing a lot of that and shining the light of the sun at us even in the dark and um and so I get a lot of I feel like I get to access uh deeper parts of myself and parts of my lineage and it's like moon is like mother and sister and grandmother and goddess and lover and best friend and all these different things it's so I get a lot of I guess hope and connection from that and just um, pray that caring means something and I just think of that stupid fucking fascist coat that Melania wore that says I really don't care which I guess is like drawing upon this whole legacy of fascism of like songs saying I don't care that are like sung by fascists and like so she was like totally signaling 
with that coat and I'm just like yes I care I fucking care so much so many people I know care so much and dedicate their whole lives to caring about people and the earth and the land and histories and legacies of genocide and slavery and the ways that those have impacted people and how everything we do right now is continuing these cycles and does is it's not enough to just be like we're all one and peace and love like there's all this like deep excavation that you have to care enough to do and just praying that that matters and um yeah and praying for kids who are locked up and not with their parents right now and just um sending them so much love and that they be able to feel that love and feel their parents love in the midst of what they're going through right now and then another thing is around um a friend of mine assigned me to have three bowls of salt water in my room that I keep full and she said to do it for a year and to talk to um to the waters and to the the mother of all mothers um through that salt water and so I've been doing that to try to help keep that connection and um yeah lots lots of other little things like that too but um those are two things that have been going on in my world this week yeah I feel like accountability makes me helpful and keeps me engaged Mm -hmm. I mean it can be it could be defined in so many ways Mm -hmm. but it's like who are people that I'm directly accountable to I'm consciously thinking about that a lot yeah and so um yeah and I think about actions I can take and my actions that I can take are different from yours because I'm on house arrest and you're not on house arrest and so um one of the things that I've done to bring love uh, is to chalk the names of loved ones who have been killed by the police on the sidewalk or in the street with hearts. Mm-hmm. And um, I continue that practice here at our home yep. <laughs> where we it's rent. beautiful. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go out and chalk Thurman Blevins' name when we get done with this podcast. Nice. That was a thing, that was a thing that I would do uh, just if we were in a meeting somewhere or mm-hmm. an anti-police terror meeting or... Uh, any place and someone's name comes up yeah uh just say the person's name that was killed by the police mm-hmm. um you know say jackie sawyers mm-hmm. for example Puyallup. jackie sawyers jackie sawyers uh puyallup tribal member and, and she was pregnant at the time and a mother and a daughter and a friend mm-hmm. cousin sister met many of her family members very close to where we live and yeah. she was killed by the police a couple years ago and i just uh yeah anyway Talking hearts. Yeah, talking hearts. Doing, last night I was um, working on uh, version two of the disability justice primer that Sins Invalid put out. Sins Invalid is a disability justice performance project and movement building organization that I work with. Woohoo, Sins Invalid. Yeah, woohoo. And so we're working on version two of the disability justice primer and says doing all editing access suggestions for public events and for mobilizations and just being able to go through and be like oh these were our our best suggestions that we had at the time that we wrote this and I know more now and I'm gonna put more in here that feels more concrete based on experience and we're gonna keep learning and the whole point of this is for 
more and more of us to be able to be in community together. A lot of us who have been kept really separate or who feel like, um, you know, oh, I can't go out and organize a big march or like do, you know, there's certain kinds of activism that aren't as safe because I don't know if I'm, if my needs are going to be taken into account. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how, how to bring more of us into these conversations, into these public spaces together in, in lots of different ways. And even if it's like, I don't actually go to the event, but I, you know, make the signs for it or I, you know, help people figure out how to make it uh, more accessible for more people that that's a part of the work. And we all kind of have our own roles that we need to play and just being able to be like every day I'm doing something that is towards the survival and growth of a radical, loving world. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I feel like we may have just finished recording our first podcast. Our first podcast. So thank you for listening to our first podcast. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Nomi, for letting me be a part of this podcast. Thank you, Lisa, for helping me learn how to make a podcast. Yeah. Success. 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 <laughs> 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 Uh, good job you too i love you i love you okay we're gonna take you out with a song that we referenced earlier by joey cassio it's called ignite we love you joey rise in power you know what you want now
Oh, <laughs> 